I guess I'm a big fan of learning the fundamentals. I think the more you learn early on, the further you're likely to go in your career and the more options you're going to have later on. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Focus Right Pro Podcast. This is a mostly bi-monthly show where we dive into the cutting edge technology behind today's professional audio products. I'm your host, Dan Hughley, and on the show today, Ted and I are joined by Jonathan Weiner, educator, mastering engineer, and the future 2021 president of the Audio Engineering Society. We'll discuss the future of AES, non-traditional uses for audio products, teaching the next generation of audio engineers, and a whole lot more. Hello, Jonathan, and welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm excellent. It's really exciting to be here, and it's early in the day, so I'm not worn down yet. <laughs> I'm not either, and uh, yeah, it wasn't too late of a night last night for us, so uh, I'm feeling quite awake today. Yeah, you get caught in the rain? I did get caught in the rain, but I got a very expensive uh, lift to get back to <laughs> one mile away. Yeah, I ended up on the subway. I could not stand out in the rain waiting for anyway. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your audio background and what got you started into uh, audio. Actually, what got me started in audio, I'm a musician. Uh, that was the genesis of my entry into audio. Um, and I got really turned on by the intersection of uh, music and technology, uh, even in the mid-1970s with ARP 2600s and, and some of the modular synths. Uh, and then found my way into the studio, uh, started to do analog multi-track recording, and then got really turned on at, uh, when MIDI came around. Um, and that offered such a potential for expanding our expressive and creative and musical vocabulary. So that, that was sort of the beginning of the journey, and then I got a job as a mastering engineer after being a recording engineer and producer for a few years. And that was incredibly exciting in the mid-1980s because you know recording anything digitally at a high fidelity and not having the system fail seemed like some kind of sorcery or magic trick. You know, it was really wonderful at the time and it was fun to be at the leading edge of that. And so I spent, I've spent the last, well, since 1985, however many years that is, uh, mastering records for artists. Oh, that's great. You, you do that here locally. Uh, you said you're based out of Boston area. Yep. I have a facility called MWorks, which is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, we used to call it the People's Republic of Cambridge. We yeah. don't call it that anymore. It's, um, it's become a place of, well, rent control is gone. Let me just put it that way. Oh, that, there you go. I used to live on Prospect Avenue. Prospect, yeah. Near Inman Square, yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I owned a place on Amory Street, which yeah. was probably just around the corner. Yeah, probably around the corner, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's great. So um, your facilities in Cambridge. Yes. What kind of music are you mastering the most? What genre? Wow. It, that's actually increasingly difficult to answer, given the... Na I mean, we live in a world of mashups, yeah, right? Yeah. So when you that's ask true. kind of music... I mean, some people have a very specific sort of genre or commercial outcome that they're after, and they're, what they're doing is tied to that. But, yeah. but many more musicians are doing the thing that they're inspired to do. Yeah. Um, maybe because, you know, they're not thinking so much about the commercial outcome. They're, they're following their creative pursuits. Um, so it's kind of everything. Mastering, as a mastering engineer, you, you kind of have to do everything. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, in order to do that as a full-time profession, you have to do 150 to 200 records a year, which wow. means it's probably impossible to specialize in yeah, one genre exactly. or another. Yeah. So uh, I do everything from uh, world music to classical music to metal to, you know, pop, 
R&B, yeah. rap, you know, whatever comes through the door. Um, and that's one of the reasons I love it. Do you find um, your customers are interested in high res and, and mastering is the best resolution possible? Or is that something you kind of have to preach to them and push on them? Or You know, at some point during uh, the process of working on a project together, we will discuss what the outcomes are, what their goals are, and to some extent, the result of that conversation sure. will determine how deep we get into this notion of high res and what that means. That's great. Um, but I always make sure that I archive the highest resolution version of my work and then derive whatever they need as right. output from there, and then I give that to them. So they're equipped, you know, it's kind of future-proofing their work yeah. so they can go forward and put something up on, you know, the new Amazon HD, yeah, exactly. you know, right, or, right. or whatever. Um, so it, it's a really interesting question. I think there's a tension between people's aspirations to do something great and people's desire to reach as many people as possible sure. and compete. Yeah. And sometimes those two ideas are at odds with each other. So I, I have to help, as a mastering engineer, I think in general, mastering engineers have to help people navigate that Absolutely. Yeah. tension. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And uh, pivoting a little bit, um, you also do um, some work, you said, at uh, Berklee College of Music. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing in, the, in that program. Well, I teach, at the, I teach uh, music production and engineering at the brick and mortar school. I've written a couple of courses for the online school, a basic mastering class and an advanced mastering class that's part of the masters of music production. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, it's, I'm really, um, I guess I'm a big fan of learning the fundamentals. I think the more you learn early on, the further you're likely to go in sure. your career and the more options you're going to have later on. You know, it's a little hard sometimes to get kids' attention when I'm talking about impedance yeah. relationships. Um, but if they're exposed to it, even if they don't fully understand or become a master of any particular fundamental topic right off the bat, they will have touched it. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, when they go to work for Focusrite, you know, and, and there's a need for them to have the technical knowledge or expertise yeah, or understand something, yeah. they'll be like, oh yeah, I remember, now I, now I know how to go and find out more about this and, sure. and expand my vocabulary. and develop my skills in that. So I really focus on that. I focus on uh, trying to drive a, a good understanding of the fundamentals. So whether it's analog signals, you know, around DSP, um, and I do teach a mastering course, and I've been doing that for quite a while. I, I, I don't know how many hundreds of people that I've taught mastering at Berkeley, and some of them have gone on to have great careers, like Adam Ayan. Um, and, yeah, I know uh, Adam. Yeah, He's actually, I, I'm sorry, he was my intern. I didn't, yeah, he's a great he, guy. he went to UMass Lowell, I misspoke yeah. there, but Jet Galindo, who's out with Eric Boulanger at the bakery. Nice. Um, yeah, there, there are a bunch of folks out there. So oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. That's always good when you have that success story that you can, you can point to like that. It makes me so proud. Yeah. yeah. And it, so, it makes me so happy to see them out in the world succeeding. Yeah, um, yeah. You were talking about the fundamentals. You know that I I, I went to to music school as well, not Berkeley, um, but uh, there were things that were touched upon that you know at the time it didn't seem to make any sense. But when it came time for me to need to understand that, I knew how to look it up and I knew how to do more research. And it it wasn't um, you know like a, a different language to me. I I knew what I needed to seek out and and I, I think that's great. The fundamentals are very important. And, and you know we live in a time when the, that notion of fundamentals extends to things around DSP, mm -hmm. around even even understanding what UI and UX refers to in product design. A lot of the students yeah. will go out and either work in collaboration with people in tech companies, or they will um, maybe pursue that themselves. We actually have fifteen. Berkeley, ex-Berkeley students working at Isotope. Oh. 
and um, in all departments. And, and knowing the language and knowing a little bit about the process of making tools, uh, I think is really, really important, you know? How does your work um, as a mastery and engineer and as a professor tie into what you do over at Isotope? Well, I'm director of education, so at least in, in terms of the nomenclature, it's, uh, it's kind of an obvious tie. Yeah. But I, I like to describe what I do as, as providing both educational efforts that face inwards. I do a lot of consulting back to the product team, and there I bring my expertise around mastering uh, to questions about you know, DSP, um, use cases, you know, what, what is somebody going to do with an equalizer when they're mastering something or when they're mixing something. Um, and uh, so a little bit about quality, a little bit about UI and UX, and then outward-facing stuff. So we have a, a video series, uh, we have a lot of educational blogs and other assets that we make available to people for free. Um, and I feel fortunate to be associated with a company that has embraced the notion of education for its own sake, to help people who are trying to be creative do that work without requiring a product purchase, without, yeah. you know, and um, so I, I feel very fortunate about that. And I do a lot of public speaking as well. Uh, I, I've always admired the, the products at Isotope, and they're Thank always you. top quality, and, and you get really good sound quality out of yeah, them. Yeah, they're fantastic tools. It, right. uh, very easy to use as well. And, um, you know, the people that I've met from Isotope, yourself included, have all been just incredibly welcoming and nice. And and I, I, I think that's it speaks to the culture of the company um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, the little part of the industry that you, you are in, you know, because we, we are in a very... Uh, in the realm of things, we're in a, a, a small industry in audio. Right? Yes, so, that's right. That's um, right. You can't afford not to be nice. You, you can't. Yeah. You can't. And uh, and you know, at this show here, uh, the AES show, I, I see that a lot more than uh, at other at other events. And um, as uh, as we were talking earlier, you are the the future president of AES. Um, so congratulations for that. Thank you. That, that's great. When, when does your term uh, start? January 2021. So next year, you know, we sort of, I get my training wheels mm -hmm. next January okay. as president-elect. Okay. And then uh, the following year I take the seat. But, you know, the truth of the matter is that it's, a, it's really a, a group effort. We have a board of directors that is working together, including the executive director, uh, to think about the future of AES and the future of our industry and, and move things forward. That's great. What, what does the future look like for AES? You know, right now, it's really, really bright. It's really exciting. Um, we have some very successful conferences uh, that are focused more on single topics, you know, whether it's uh, forensics and archival or um, immersive audio, which is a hot topic right now, or audio education. We've got a worship uh, conference that we're doing next year in Nashville. Um, so we're serving specific communities with those, and then we have our larger conventions, which are kind of all things audio, and we have one in the U.S. where we're sitting now, which is our largest event. Uh, we have one in Mexico, we have a couple in South America, uh, one in Europe, and uh, we have some burgeoning interest in China uh, to do some things there. Um, so we're truly an international organization. The two things that I think we're especially excited about are the diversity that's coming into AES. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I think everybody recognizes that, that the democratization of music production yeah. across all borders, whether it's socioeconomic or gender or location. So we need to make sure that we're serving a, a varied and diverse audience with our offerings and reflecting the interest of the membership. Uh, so I think you'll see that a lot in our programming and even embodied in some of the people walking around the convention yeah. here. Um, the other thing is uh, thinking about the sort of new manufacturing, sure. you know, new technology. Um, 
30 years ago, technology at AES meant large console manufacturers. Now, I mean, you all are you know, heavily invested in one of our newest technologies in, in um, you know, AS67-ish or, or Dante yep. backbone. Yep. And um, you know, thinking about the future of the tools that people are using to make and do their work, and that's got to include distribution. I mean, Google and Amazon and Apple are really in some ways the equivalent of audio manufacturers these days. So we're looking forward to engage them all the more, and you'll see their presence around the show as well. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've noticed at this show, even, um, you know, I, I've only been to a handful of AES shows. I've noticed the average age has dropped significantly. Thank you. Um, and that... Oh, and you're not talking about me. I am talking about <laughs> me. Uh, but no, we, you, you can't ignore the younger people that are here and the students that are here asking great questions. Um, you know, people like you, I'm sure you encourage your students uh, to come to events like this and speak to, the, speak to people at these companies. And I've been impressed by the, the questions that I've heard asked at these shows. And um, yeah, the, uh, what you were saying, the consoles uh, you know, are, are, are kind of fading away. Uh, but well, they, have their, they certainly have their place. They, I mean, nobody's uh, going to be mixing a major motion soundtrack using right. a mouse or a trackpad, right, you right. know? Um, but, um, but we have new technologies, and, and, um, and I think that's kind of more the point. Yeah, uh, you were mentioning the diversity in people. There's also the diversity in the technologies and uh, the changing the changing uh, face of sound here, which, um, you know, looking around here, I'm excited to be at this show, you know, cool. uh, compared I'm to some of the other ones. That. Did, yeah. you, did you go to the opening, the keynote yesterday? Did you see Grandmaster Flash? I, I didn't no, have a chance. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we, we didn't get to see, go. Okay. That to me is just a wonderful example of looking back to look forward, sure. because he was an innovator using existing technology in a way that nobody foresaw yeah. or thought about, and he basically sparked uh, with a couple of other compatriots at the time, a genre, yeah. and, which is now like the dominant sort of popular music genre in the U.S., uh, that's for sure, and has influenced you know, musical genres in other places as well. Um, so if you think about that and where that came from, if you look at any of the young people walking around here, you know, who knows where that's going to come from, right. Right. who we're going to be talking about 20 years from now. But it was so exciting. It was so, so great, great to have him there. Yeah. Some of the things that I've noticed is the non-traditional uses for products. Um, you know, people, you know, you make, you make a product for one thing, and some of the younger people are, are finding other creative ways to use that product. Oh, yeah. Something that, you know, us as a manufacturer never thought of. You see someone using it, and you go, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and that's, My you know, favorite example of that, uh, we make a product called RX over at Isotope. Great product. It's designed to repair audio. Yeah. Well, you put it in the hands of a sound designer, and they're like, ooh, that sound that nobody else wants, that's going to be the DNA of my dinosaur, you know, <laughs> in my soundtrack. Yeah, and sure. people started using the tool in ways we never, ever anticipated. Yeah. And that actually is really gratifying yeah. um, and exciting and makes you think about what to do next. Yeah, yeah. Your, your repair tool became a creative tool. Exactly. Which is great. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, wait, oh, yeah, okay, That's not that. what that was, <laughs> well, yeah, that's go do right. it. Well, when we first started developing the RedNet audio over IP systems, we saw it as more of a studio technology, and then people started to take it and run with it. And it oh, went yeah. way far into to sound reinforcement and communication. I've got to say thank you uh, Transport it. that we never thought would, would, where it would go. I, I have in my career had occasion to do a fair bit of location recording. 
and it has been a godsend. Oh, great. You know, you go out and record a, an event in a church or something. Yeah. And of course, you know, you've got the big acoustic space, and then you set up your control room in the men's room because yeah, that's yeah. the only other available exactly, space. Yeah. And having to run hundreds of feet of analog cable or even AES cable is just uh, not so fun yeah, and no. expensive and sometimes unreliable. And having a Cat6 cable, you know, and you can just, if you have to leave it, you yep. can leave it. Yep. You, know, you can leave it not, behind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really it's marvelous technology. Yeah. It sounds good. It sounds amazing. Yeah. It sounds a lot better than people think. Yes. The clock. Yeah. The clock. The network clock. Mm -hmm. The P2P clock is amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's that's another thing I've noticed in my few years in the industry is. Um, when Dante and Audio over IP was first introduced, it was hard for people to grasp, including myself. Uh, but then, when you realize, when you break it down to the most simple, the simplest form of it is you're converting in the box and sending digital signal. It really kind of opened my eyes to what it can really do and the possibilities. And then it's just uh, the quality of those mic pre's, and and you're doing great. And people out there who are listening, who are young and thinking about developing their skills, you need to learn something about networking right. yeah. and manage switches and so on. There's sure. a whole skill set there that can marry to uh, audio in a broadcast context, certainly. Yes. So, so yeah, having an understanding of, of signal routing via net, uh, networks and switches is really mm -hmm. important. I'm sure you're noticing at, at Berkeley with the work that you do um, that you have um, your IT department and your audio department are probably have a great relationship with each other if they're not one in the same because you're running over no that comment. same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still, know, it, it's actually, it's, it's, it can, sometimes that can be a force fit yeah. and we still are working to sort of figure out how to integrate that. I mean, the IT department does not want to deal with our tape machines. No. You know, and they're not sure they even want to deal with the plug-in installs. Um, but, you know, we have to sort of, we, we all have to play nice together. So we're, we're lucky to have uh, full-time fully dedicated staffs to keep our facilities up and running. But there are the days when something doesn't work and we're not sure who owns the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody's right, right. pointing fingers. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you uh, have some time constraints here. Um, is there anything else you want to cover before we wrap up? I don't think so. I, I appreciate the chance to talk no, to we you and it. also to get the word out about what's going on uh, at AES and at the convention. I guess I'll just say, you know, for those that are interested, go to the AES.org website. Mm -hmm. um, there may be a local chapter that you can uh, join. And uh, depending on where you live, there may be local events. We're working towards also doing some online educational events and things that we can push out to our membership in more remote locations or places where there are not chapters. Um, so, you know, if you're motivated, we have a very affordable student membership and you get a lot of free stuff. Yeah, yep. if a lot you, of good education. If, and a lot of good education. And um, and then if you think about it, maybe you come to New York next year and I get to say hello and shake yeah. your hand. We'll give you a free pass. <laughs> you got to cover well, your hotel. Now, okay, I'll be here. <laughs> I'll stay with my aunt, you know, right. so it's, it's easy. And I love pizza. Best pizza. That's a whole podcast. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that pizza one next time. Pizza and bagels. We'll go through yeah, pizza yeah, and bagels, bagels next time. Oh, man. I always take a dozen back on the plane. You've got you, to. You've yeah. got to tell me where right. to go because I'll, I'll do the same thing. And I'm sure if you're gluten-free, you can find stuff in New yeah. York, too. <laughs> well, thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. Congratulations on um, becoming the, the next next president. Right. And uh, is, uh, do you want to mention your studio name one more time? Uh, M Works. M Works. The letter M and the word works. Okay. I, thought, I thought Master Works would be a great name and then found out that yeah. it had only been used 300 times and <laughs> works in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time and enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. All thank right. you.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Focusrite Pro Podcast. This mostly bi-monthly podcast is produced and hosted by me, Dan Hughley, for Focusrite. Music is by Merlin. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join our conversation on social media at Focusrite Pro. For more information, please visit our website at www.pro.focusrite.com. incredibly exciting in the mid-1980s because, you know, recording anything digitally at a high fidelity and not having the system fail seemed like some kind of sorcery or magic trick. You know, it was really wonderful at the time and it was fun to be at the leading edge of that.